Well, I want to invite you to grab your copy of God's Word this morning. Join me once again in Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 35. We will pick up where we left off this past week in a message entitled, Kingdom Authority. Kingdom Authority. As we prepare to do that this morning, I want to ask you a simple question. Do you remember what it was like when you were in school to have a substitute teacher? Remember what those days were like in class? Some of you may be substitute teachers and you're thinking, I know exactly what those days are like in class. Things grow a bit chaotic. Would you agree? Things are a little bit different than when the regular teacher's there. Some people who usually maybe would not cut up decide that's their moment to shine in the spotlight. They decide they are going to entertain the rest of the class and chaos ensues. You know, it's interesting as we prepare to look at the text this morning, because what we recognize, what we understand is that we live in a world that is shattered as a result of sin. We live in a world that is filled with chaos. We live in a world where normal just does not exist. And as we look at Jesus over the next verses that we'll read together and walk through together, what we're going to see is Jesus step into the midst of the chaos and bring peace in the chaos. And you may ask the question, How does Jesus do that? He does that because he has all authority. He is able to do that. As we prepare to dive in this morning, we've got a lot of text to work through, and so I want to encourage you to put on your listening fast ears this morning. I'm going to speak as fast as my South Georgia dialect will let me this morning. As we prepare to do that, I want to encourage you to write down these parallel passages as we've walked through Mark's gospel. I want to encourage you in your own time with the Lord to work through some of the other gospels and their accounts of the stories that we're working through on Sunday mornings. And so write these down, Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 through 34, and then Matthew chapter 19, verses 18 through 26. And then Luke chapter 8, verses 26 through 56, those passages that will parallel, we're going to read this morning. So I want to read first Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41, and then we will begin to walk through these next verses together. This is God's word. On that day, when evening had come, He said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose. And the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him up and they said to him, teacher, Do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, 
And there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? They were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Father, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes that we would be able to see, that you would open our ears that we would be able to hear, and that you would open our hearts and our minds that we would be ready to respond to your word, to your spirit this morning. We ask all of that in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. If you're taking notes this morning, I want to encourage you to write down this main idea. It'll frame our time together as we continue to walk through these verses and then into chapter 5. It's this truth. Jesus has all authority, and this changes everything. Jesus has all authority, and this changes absolutely everything. What we're going to do over our time together this morning is look at four snapshots of scenes that play out in Mark's gospel. Mark is, remember, as we've been walking our way through Mark's gospel account of Jesus' life and his ministry, he's focusing in to help us understand who Jesus is, that he is the Son of God, that he is the Savior, the Messiah, that we desperately need to save us from our sin. That's his aim. That's his focus. And as we began last week looking at chapters 3 through chapter 8, what we have seen is that not only is the spotlight on Jesus, but As Jesus is conducting his ministry, he begins to teach in parables, and then he begins to perform miracles in power. So last week, we unpacked some parables that Jesus gave us as we look at what the kingdom of God looks like. And this morning, what we're going to see is what the kingdom of God looks like as well. But instead of it being in teaching form, Jesus is going to show us this in power as he performs miracles, four snapshots, four miracles, four people whose lives were transformed by Jesus Christ. We see the first of those in chapter 4, verses 35 through verse 41. And I want you to take note that Jesus has authority over creation. You're going to see an image that comes up on the screen. This is a picture of the Sea of Galilee. You'll recognize that it looks like there's mountains on the side of that, but what you realize is that the Sea of Galilee is actually almost 700 feet below sea level. This is the sea that they are about to cross at this point in time, and Jesus has finished teaching, and he says to his disciples, it's time for us to cross over. And so they get into the boat, and they begin to journey across the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and as often happened, storms arose. And as they are crossing, you saw that the storm was so great, water began to come into the boat. His disciples, think about this, several of them fishermen who would have been well acquainted with the seafaring life They wake Jesus up, look at this, who is asleep in the front of the boat. And they say to Jesus, 
Do you not care that we are about to die? Now think about that. They were not dumb by any stretch. They knew that water coming in the boat means the boat's not going to be on top of the water very long, right? They knew we were about to die in this moment, and they wake Jesus up, and they say, hey, do you you not even care that we are about to die? And I love this. Jesus woke up, and notice what the text says in verse 39. He rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And what happened? They obeyed. Think about that. Think about the reality that Jesus simply speaks to the wind and to the sea and they obey him. The wind is blowing, the sea is raging, Jesus wakes up and says, cut it out, stop, we're done with that, and it stops. Jesus has authority over creation. As we think about that, we look and we say, man, that, that, that's really an exciting thing to, to think about. You have to remind yourself that Jesus is the second person of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, all who were present, Genesis 1 tells us, at creation. So when creation was spoken into existence, Jesus was there participating in that, and so it should not surprise us that in this moment, Jesus is able to speak to the creation that he already spoke into existence and to say to it, cease. As we think through that a bit, it reminds us of what Jesus said back in Mark chapter 1, that the kingdom of God has come. The kingdom of God is breaking in to this world. And Jesus here is pulling back the curtain for a moment to help us understand what does that look like? Well, it looks like the reality that Jesus has the authority over creation. What we're reminded by Paul in Romans chapter 8 is that all of creation is groaning as a result of sin, is awaiting the day of redemption, is waiting for all of this to close and for Jesus to set up his kingdom and rule and reign in all power and all authority. But until that day comes, we still experience hurricanes. We still experience wildfires. We experience storms. And yet notice this morning that Jesus demonstrates here that he has authority over that. As you continue, you see that in the first scene, but I want us to read, continuing on, Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 1 and walking through verse 20. I want you to take note of what follows this. It's not by accident that Mark is going to stack these four stories on top of each other. He begins in verse 1 of chapter 5, they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes, and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, Immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. 
He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart. He broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. A great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Not only do we see that Jesus has authority over creation in those last verses of chapter 4, but in these verses we see that Jesus has authority over demons, This is not the first time we've seen this play out. It's happened previously in Mark's gospel account of Jesus' life and ministry. But this scene highlights, once again for us, Jesus' authority. Jesus' authority over not only creation, but over evil itself. Notice that this man has been tormented for a lengthy period of time. He's ostracized from society. They have tried to subdue him in any way that they can find. There's nothing that can prevent his strength from coming out of the chains, from coming out of the shackles. He's cutting himself. He's evidently not clothed. He's not in his right mind. And he sees Jesus, and he runs to him. And Jesus, in this moment, gives us a glimpse once again of his kingdom breaking in to this earth as he cast out these demons, 
I love it because he sends them into the pigs. Just kind of picture that in your mind. There's 2,000 pigs over in that area, and Jesus says to the demon, you got to come out of him. He says, well, don't destroy us. He says, hmm, how about the pigs? How about you go there? And then they run off. Can, can you imagine that? That would be a wonderful scene in a movie, right? Just to see that happen, floating pigs down the river. Bacon on, yeah, be wonderful. But Jesus once again demonstrates his authority over demons. You know, as we think about this life in which God has called us to live, we live in a world that is filled with evil. But hear me, Jesus has authority over the evil. Why did he come? so that he could ultimately put an end to it, so that he could make it possible for us who are sinful people to be redeemed, to be brought into the family of God through his life, his death, his resurrection, to once and for all defeat evil. We see his authority on display. The people around are amazed and a bit terrified, very similarly to him when he rebukes the wind and the waves. Jesus has authority over demons. Not only that, as we continue reading, I want you to look with me in verse 21 through verse 34. We're going to see this third snapshot. Again, Mark's not putting these back to back to back to back, just for no reason whatsoever, but to to help us see clearly through Jesus's power in performing these miracles that he is the one who has authority. He is the son of God. He is the savior we desperately need. Look with me, Mark chapter five, beginning in verse 21. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him. And he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come, lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him and There was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately... The flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling 
and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Not only does Jesus have authority over creation, have authority over demons, but here's the third truth this morning. Jesus has authority over disease. We see once again in this moment the kingdom of God breaking forth in a sin-shattered world. There is not a person in this room that at some point in time has not experienced some type of sickness, some type of disease, some type of medical condition. And what we are reminded of is that the reason we experience that is because of the effects of sin in this world. This world ultimately is not our home. All of us at some point are going to experience something like this in our lives. And in this moment, we're reminded that not only does Jesus have authority over creation and over demons, over evil, he has authority even over disease. As he begins to journey after crossing the sea, once again, a great crowd, the scripture says, gathers around him. This man comes to him. He says, listen, my daughter is ill. She is at the point of death. Please come with me and heal her. On the journey, as Jesus is going through the crowds, there's a woman who has a medical condition where she has been bleeding for 12 years, and she has done everything that she knows to try and solve this medical condition. It would have brought shame upon her. It would have been something that would have been causing her to be ostracized from family and friends. She would, have been, she would have been an outcast in society. She had spent every last dollar she had with doctors to try and solve this problem. And she ended up at the end of the day having no money but no relief until she touches Jesus's garment. Notice that Jesus doesn't even touch her. Think about that. But she in faith comes to Jesus and in her mind, she's thinking, if I could just touch his garment, if I could just do that, maybe, possibly, I could be healed. And what we see is that that's exactly what happens that she touches Jesus' garment, and the scripture says power goes out from him. And immediately she's healed, and Jesus is saying in this moment, who touched me? He's looking around, and his disciples say, maybe you don't know what crowd control looks like. There's a bunch of people touching you. He says, no, no, this is different. And this woman comes up to him. She says, it was, it was me. And it says she tells him the whole truth. Think about that. She lays it all before him. Says, Jesus, this was my problem. This is what I was dealing with. This is what I was walking through. I could imagine with tears in her eyes just explaining to Jesus what the last 12 years have been like. Jesus looks at her and says to her, daughter, your faith 
has made you well, go in peace, be healed of your disease. Jesus has authority over disease. Not only that, let's look beginning in verse 35, walking through verse 43. The story began with a man coming to Jesus. His name was Jairus. He was seeking Jesus' help with his daughter who was sick. Verse 35, while he was still speaking, that's to the woman that he had just healed, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, watch this. Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking For she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Jesus has authority over creation. Jesus has authority over demons. Jesus has authority over disease. Jesus has authority over death. This is not the only account of Jesus raising someone from the dead. We see it two other times with Lazarus and with the widow's son as well in Jesus' ministry. But think about what's going on here. Jesus is delayed in going to this girl to, to bring healing for her. The synagogue leaders come to Jairus and say, there's no need, she's already dead. Jesus comes onto the scene, witnesses, if you've ever experienced a death of someone close to you in a situation like this, they are wailing, they are weeping, it's a great commotion in this moment, and Jesus walks onto the scene and says to them, why are you doing that? That little girl is simply sleeping, to which They look at Jesus like you have lost your mind. And yet Jesus walks into the room with her parents, with a couple of his disciples, and he says to her, think about this, just again with his words, little girl, get up. She was dead. And she sat up. 
And then Jesus, I love this. He says, now, get her a cheeseburger. Do <laughs> you see that? That's in the Greek. You may have missed that. But he says, feed her. Like, this was not just a moment where Jesus kind of brought her back for a minute, and then she's going to close her eyes, and she's going to be dead. No, he says, hey, she, she needs something to eat, because, like, this is, not, this is not the end for her. Think about the fact that Jesus has authority over death. We see this most visibly in his own death. Our great hope as followers of Jesus this morning is that we are raised to new life in Christ in the same way that Jesus was raised from the dead. So as we think about that this morning, as we think about those four scenes, as we think about those truths, as we think about the fact that Jesus has all authority, how does this change your life? I want you to encourage you to think through these three things that this truth does for us. First, it gives us peace for the present. A peace that passes all understanding. Because listen to me this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've turned from your sin, trusted in him alone for your salvation, you can operate in the midst of a sin-shattered world, even as broken as it is and as difficult as it may be on you and on me, with peace knowing that your Savior, my Savior, has all authority. There's not a thing that happens in your life or my life that is not outside of the hands of a sovereign God who is at work. We have the hope of a Savior who has all authority. Not only does it provide us peace for the present, it provides us courage for the mission. I want to remind you, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, that you and I are called to be on mission. Jesus gave as his last words what we call the Great Commission. If you look at it in Matthew's gospel account in chapter 28, looking at those last verses, notice what Jesus says in that. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. And then he turns to us and says, go and make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. Church, our encouragement as we pursue the mission of making disciples here and around the world is that we do so under the authority of our Savior, Jesus Christ. The promise that he has made is that he will build his church. The gates of hell will not prevail against us. That is the hope that we operate with. And then here's the third reality of how this truth changes our lives. It gives us hope for the future. Hope for the future. Paul writes in Colossians 1 verse 28 that it is Christ in us that is the hope of glory. Listen, all of creation is moving in one direction. 
we see in these verses this morning a glimpse of what that looks like, of what it looks like for the kingdom of God to come, to begin to break into this world in which we live. And one day, our hope as followers of Jesus is that that will be finally realized at Christ's return. Church, that is our hope, our hope in a Savior who has all authority. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me this morning. As our worship team makes their way back up and as we transition to a time of communion together, our great hope as followers of Jesus this morning is that he has all authority. There is nothing that you will face in your life as a follower of Jesus that he does not have authority over. Creation, he has authority. Evil, he has authority. Disease, sickness, he has authority. Death, he has authority. Rest in that truth this morning as a follower of Jesus. You may have come in today and you're not yet a follower of Jesus. My hope and my prayer this morning is that as we have shined the spotlight on Jesus' authority, that the eyes of your heart would be open to the reality of who Jesus Christ is. The peace that you are looking for, the hope that you are looking for, can only be found in him. And the good news of the gospel this morning is that Jesus Christ has made it possible for you, a sinner separated from God, to be forgiven of your sin through his life, death, resurrection, to be brought into the family of God be a child. You have an opportunity this morning to respond by faith, trusting in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. As the music plays for a bit, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Just take some time to reflect on the truth of who Jesus is and how that changes your life.